When you hear the word Christianity, there's probably several things that if you were going to uh, give a one-word response to that, you might say, obviously, Jesus is a, uh, is a pretty good one-word response. You might say uh, Easter. Uh, you might say the cross, Christianity, the cross. You might say uh, Christmas. But one word that is synonymous, and that probably some of you would say if you were asked you, is the word faith. Faith is a word that is almost synonymous with Christianity. Two weeks ago, we were in Hebrews 11, and we're doing a little two-part series in that. So if you have your Bibles, turn back uh, to Hebrews 11. It's way over uh, in the far end of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. If you're somewhere near Exodus, you're way away in the other direction. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at faith again this morning, what it is and what it should mean and how it should play out in our lives. And let's answer this question. We answered two weeks ago, just kind of a quick refresher. What is faith? What, what is faith? We're supposed to have faith in our husband or wife, girlfriend, boyfriend. Hopefully you don't have a girlfriend if you've got a wife, but you understand what faith is. Look in verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me define faith for you as it is expressed in the New Testament. Faith is being persuaded of something. It means you believe it in your head, you believe it intellectually, and then you give assent of your life to it. It is a confidence in something that moves beyond just believing facts to following in the New Testament, obviously, Jesus Christ with your life. Thirty-four times the word faith or believe is used in Hebrews chapter 11. And again, it's one of the dominant words in the New Testament for Christianity. Let me try to sum it up. What happens with faith is faith is where you, in the Christian realm, you believe certain things about Jesus Christ. You, you're willing to accept he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he arose from the death. Well, I can't figure that out. You, don't, you, you can't figure that out. You accept it by faith. And then you move from just believing it here in your head to you surrender your life to Christ. And it's a faith that leads to a commitment of who you are to Jesus. Faith is the entry point into Christianity. But faith is also the way a Christian is to continue to live. And Colossians 2.6, we don't have it on the screens, but if you're writing it down, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. As you receive Christ by a commitment of your life and by believing in your heart who he he is, you continue to live a life of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, faith is something that gets in your head, it moves to your heart, and it moves out of your feet. It's trust and confidence in Jesus Christ and his word. And again, it results in how you live. The Bible says if you profess to have faith in Christ, but it does not affect your behavior, you do not have a real faith in Christ that's going to get you to heaven someday. Faith is a trust in Christ that impacts how we live and we do our life, okay? Now, I want us to look at several things that faith plays a key role in, according to Hebrews 11, in your life and in my life today. Here's the first thing he says. Faith is a key to miracles. Faith is a key to miracles. Now, before I dive into this, churches, Christianity, preachers, uh, people fall off the horse on one end or the other when it comes to miracles, Some people say if you pray and believe and you pay the preacher well, then whatever you get, you will receive. Remember that last part I just said. I think that's the key about paying the preacher well. 
So in other words, that if you pray today and ask God for a Mercedes, for a diamond ring, for uh, a big increase in pay, that you get your boss's job and he gets shipped to, uh, to Africa for six years, that if you just believe that, that will happen. The other extreme is, is that miracles, miracles don't really happen anymore. Some people would say even the miracles in the Bible, they explain those away. Those didn't really happen. Or some people say the miracles in the Bible happen, but God doesn't do miracles anymore, that, that we're living in an age when miracles don't happen. I want to tell you, both extremes are wrong. God did do miracles, and God can still do miracles, and God still does do miracles is what the Bible teaches, okay? Now, let's look. Let's look at this chapter. Some of the verses it says here. Look in verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This story is told in Exodus. And God had delivered the Jewish people from being slaves in Egypt for many, many, many years. And now they're, they're going to freedom. And all of a sudden, they look behind. And here's the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world, coming. And they're going to rip their heads off, literally. And God puts a cloud in between them, which kind of stops the the Egyptians from getting to him. And then God parts the Red Sea. He dries the floor of the ocean. They walk across the ocean. The Egyptians follow. The waves fall in on them, and all the Egyptians die. How many of you agree that is a miracle? And God says part of that miracle was their faith. I remember hearing some liberal professor say, well, the, the water of the Red Sea where the Egyptians crossed was about three feet deep. So they just waded across the Red Sea. And I, I was so cowardly, but I wanted to say, wasn't it a miracle that all the Egyptians drowned in three feet of water? I mean, how silly. That is not what happened. The sea parted, they walked through, and the waves fell on them. A miracle. Let's look at another miracle. He attributes in the Old Testament part of this is by faith. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. After the people had marched around them for seven days. This story is told in the book of Joshua. Jewish people are entering the promised land. They're first, they get right in it. They're excited. And here is this big fortified city. They know they have to get past this city if they're going to get in the promised land. So God tells them to do something weird. He says, march around the city one time for six days, every day. Then go back and chew your tobacco. Women do whatever y'all do, whatever. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and you're going to blow these horns, and you're going to break these jars, and then the walls are going to fall down. And that's exactly what happened. I heard another professor say, well, at that time, that was probably just an earthquake. Let me tell you, if God tells you to march around a, a wall seven times and that wall falls and, and there's an earthquake, that earthquake's from God. Amen? <laughs> oh, silly people, silly people. Miracle. God says part of this miracle happened because of faith. Now, if you look on in verse 32, he kind of gives us a litany or kind of a run-through. What more shall I say? Do I don't have time to tell you about Gideon? About Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, who through faith, you see that conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies. Look in verse 35, the first part of it. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Miracles. Miracles, and part of it, God tells us here, is because these people had faith to believe that God could do it and He would do it. Folks, 
we don't understand how miracles work because they're miracles. They, they go beyond our ability intellectually uh, to, to grasp. But God can do anything and everything. God doesn't always do the miracle like we want, but God can. God still does do miracles. And the key to a miracle is, one, your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't live like the devil and pray like a saint, okay? You've got to be right with Christ. Well, I pray and nothing happens. Check out your life. If your life is not where it needs to be with God, you are hitting the ceiling literally with your prayers. But when you are right with God, you're living for God, and you trust God, and you pray big, God can and still does do miracles. Jim Garlow is a pastor in San Diego, California. Big, big church there, Skyline Methodist Church. His wife of 40 years, several years ago, was diagnosed with liver cancer. And Jim said basically what the doctors told them literally was she is going to die. Not die like, you know, of old age, 30 years now. She is going to die from this. Jim said we got the best medical treatment we could. We prayed, we believed, we got hundreds and we got thousands of people to pray. And today his wife is alive and healed of liver cancer. A miracle. Warren Wiersbe is a, a, a preacher. He's been a, a college president, a teacher. Warren Wiersbe is a very conservative person. He would not be a snake handler at all. Warren Wiersbe at one time in his life was told that he was going to die. His family thought he was going to die. You know, they were making the arrangements, picking out the suit. You, wouldn't daddy look good in this, you know? And that, well, that's an uncomfortable thing. And Warren Wiersbe said he and many other people prayed and asked God for a miracle, and he was healed, and he's still alive today. Miracles still do happen. We don't always understand why they don't happen, and that's very disappointing. We're going to see that in a moment. But they do. One reason miracles don't happen, it's not the only reason, but one reason is the truth is we don't believe God can or will do it. We just don't. Two interesting verses. In, in Matthew 13, verse 58, listen to what this says. And he being Jesus did not do many miracles there. Read that last part with me. Because... Y'all read better than that. Read that because Jesus was in his hometown. They blew him off. They said, that's just Jesus. We know his mama and we know his daddy. And they did not have faith and trust in him. And it says in black and white, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. In Matthew 21, 22, just flipping ahead a little while, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That promise is conditioned with other promises in the Bible. But here's the truth. Folks, God can and he still does do miracles. And I want to tell you this morning, some of you need a miracle today. And if you don't need a miracle today, you'll need a miracle at some point in your life. Some of you need a miracle in your marriage. Your marriage is not going to make it if God doesn't put his hand in there and do something great. Maybe it's your health or the health of a family member or friend. Maybe it's your finances that are upside down. And if there's not a miracle, you're going to be in trouble. I want to challenge you to take God at his word and to pray in faith <clears throat> Pray believing God can do miracles, God did do miracles, and God still can do miracles. Faith is the key, the Bible says, to miracles. Now, here's the next thing. 
that plays off this in a, in a sad way, but a very important way. Faith is the key to making it through the dark times. You see, faith's not only a key to miracles. Faith is the key when the miracle doesn't happen. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is not original with me, so I can say this is a great quote, and it's a great quote. It takes great faith to see a miracle. It takes greater faith to keep trusting Christ when the miracle doesn't happen. It takes great faith to see a miracle, but it takes greater faith to keep trusting Christ when the miracle does not happen. In verse 35 through 37, look what it says. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again. That's exciting. Then let's read the rest of it. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Stoning was a common way of, a terrible way of killing someone. Uh, in ancient days, even up to Jesus' day, they were still stoning people. Stoning happened in one of three ways. One, they got you near a cliff that was pretty high where there were rocks below, and they would push you off, and when you hit the stones, that was the stoning. The two other most common ways is, is they might put you in a circle, and people would stand back with rocks, and they would throw rocks at you until you died. Can you imagine? The third way was, is they would take rocks, they would gather around the person, and they would beat them to death with a stone until they died. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah the great prophet, tradition says that he was stoned to death by some of his fellow Jewish people in Egypt. A man of great faith who lived for God, yet he died a horrible death, but he kept trusting God through the end. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, tradition says that King Manasseh put him in a hollow log and had this log sawed in two while he was in that. A great man of God. But the Bible says they kept trusting God even when their life and their world fell apart. Look in verse 38. kind of concludes this sad part of the chapter. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. In other words, these people, God says some of them believed God and they saw great miracles. Some of them did not see the miracle. But listen, they kept believing God and trusting in God to the very, very end. Several years ago in Iran, there was a pastor named Yusuf. This made all kinds of national, worldwide headlines. Yusuf refused to recant Jesus Christ. He was brought before the Iranian government and I don't know, whatever they have over their boards. And two times they said, you recant Jesus Christ or you will be put to death. Two times he looked back at him and said, I will die before I will deny Jesus Christ. Is that not awesome? That's not a Rolex and a Mercedes, though, for your faith, is it? He was later released from prison, then he was arrested again. And I think he was released again. I think eventually he will just disappear is what will happen. But what an what a example. When facing death, he will say, I will trust Christ and I won't deny him, even if it means or costs me my very, very life. 
In November of last year, a 19-year-old named Tyler Campbell was on Interstate 65, and he went off the road, and he he went down into a 30-foot-deep ravine. And it must have been pretty brushy because he basically disappeared. They couldn't find him. They didn't, of course, they didn't know where he'd gone off the road. And for three days, he laid in that ditch. He broke his left leg and his, his left shoulder. Several times he was able to get enough energy and strength to almost crawl up to the interstate, but every time he would just fall back down. Eventually he said to God, he said, God, he said, I love you, I trust you, I think I just need to go on to heaven, take me home. But he said, I'm going to try one more time. One more time he crawled and he got to the interstate and he was found, he was rescued, he's doing well today. He was asked by reporters, how did you make it three days drinking rainwater out of a broken headlight with a broken left leg and a broken shoulder? He said, I, my faith in God, I trusted God. Whatever was going to happen, I was going to keep my faith, my trust in God. Listen, hard times are not an option. Hard times are a part of life. Some some of us, we've had it so easy for so long that when the hard times come upon us, which they will, we're going to be overwhelmed. Let me just give you you a a, a shot. Let me give you a warning. Let me give you a great piece of advice. Put your hand in Jesus and you keep trusting no matter what happens. Psalms 34.4, listen to what it says. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. When you're afraid, when you're scared, you seek God and you keep your hand in God's hand. Psalms 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Listen, I want to challenge you to trust God for a miracle. But I want, to, I want to challenge you when the miracle doesn't come, you keep trusting God. You keep your hand in God's hand. You keep trusting him. Let me give you a, another thing this morning. Faith is the key to sanity. It's, it's just a key to good mental health. I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning if you've ever struggled with your marbles bouncing around in your head, but most of us have. Life's hard, life's stressful, life's tough. And one of the keys for you and I keeping it together is trusting God. Proverbs 3, 5, look at this wonderful verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Leave that verse there for a minute, Brian. Let me, let me tell you what your problem is. I know what a lot of your problems, uh, your problem is because it's my problem. Is that we got to figure everything out, don't we? We got to control it. We got to have it where we can understand it and we can manipulate it and we can change it. And the bottom line is, is that we can't do that with life, can we? Well, I got a PhD and I'm pretty smart and da da da. Well, maybe you do. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you know what? God's got like 400 PhDs. And no matter how smart you are, life will throw you a curveball and a beanball, and you're not going to be able to figure it out. Here's what God says you don't have to figure it all out. Trust me. Isn't Isn't that relief to you? You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to control it all. You don't have to have it all figured out. You trust God. There was a psychologist in New York City years ago. When he would write, uh, I think it was a psychiatrist, when he would write prescriptions for his new patients who had nervous breakdowns, the first prescription he gave them, it said this, Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He would tell them, Do not come back to your next appointment until you've memorized that. And I want you to memorize this, and I want you to say it to yourself 
50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times a day till it seeps deep in your head, your unconscious, and down to your heart. Trust God. Romans 8.28 goes right with this. Listen to what this says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, who are his children. Now, folks, this does not say all things are good. All things are not good. This doesn't say all things are from God. All things are not from God. What this verse is saying is if you love Jesus Christ, no matter what happens, no matter what other people dump on you, no matter what mess you make in your life, if you will come to Christ and you will give it to Him and trust Him, God can put His hand in your mess and make a masterpiece out of it. Isn't that cool? You see, you're thinking today, I don't know how I'm going to make it in my life. I don't know how I'm going to make it with that person I'm married to. I don't know how I'm going to make it financially or my business or, or with the problems that I'm facing. If you feel that way, let me tell you, a lot of other people in this room feel that way too. Nobody wants to admit it, but it's true. How do you keep your sanity? You trust Jesus. You trust Him. You don't figure it all out. You can't. You trust God no matter how bad the mess is, that if you will live for him like you should, God makes masterpieces out of messes. One of the keys to being sane is your faith in God, especially during the dark and difficult times. Here's the last thought. Faith is the key to joy. Faith is the key to joy. Now, it's, this is kind of one of my pet peeves. Christians get weird when you talk about joy. I've heard, I've heard Christians say, well, I'm not happy, but I've got joy in my heart. On the outside, I'm not happy. Folks, happiness and joy, here's the difference. They have a different root. They have a different source. They look alike, okay? A joyful person is a happy person, okay? Now, you can't differentiate. Well, that smile is joy, and that's happiness. You can't differentiate. They, they look the same, they smell the same, and they feel the same. They have a different source. Happiness comes from what happens. The Cowboys lose, and my team wins, and the ice cream's good. That's, I'm happy because of what happens. Does that make sense? Oh, my husband was nice to me today. My parents let me have my way, so I'm happy. But what happens when the ice cream's bad, the cowboys win, and your spouse is mean? Then you've lost your happiness. Joy, the source is in Jesus Christ. The key to being a joyful person inwardly and outwardly is your relationship to Christ. The reason, listen, the reason a lot of people are grouches is they're not Christians or they're Christians away from God. They may blame it on anybody and everything else, but it, it, it's, it's your relationship to Jesus, and then it's your outlook. It's your outlook. It's your mental state of mind, which begins with trusting God and faith in God. Let's go over those verses one more time. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How do you find joy? I can't figure it out. I can't get them in my box. I can't make them do what I want them to do. Whatever, trust God. Leave them to them. Romans 8, 28, no matter what happens, if I keep living for God, I'll let God be involved. I'll let God have control on all things. God works together for the good to those who love him. I let God control my life. I let God have his hand in my messes, and he makes masterpieces out of them. 
Condoleezza Rice was the Secretary of State under George Bush Jr. She's a devout Christian lady. Condoleezza Rice said this recently. It's a great quote. She said, you know, as a Secretary of State, you travel all over the world. You're dealing with world leaders. There's all kinds of problems. She said, here's how I found I could keep my joy. I keep my eyes on Jesus, and I keep trusting him. I keep my faith in Christ. I keep my eyes on him, and I can be optimistic no matter how terrible things may be on the outside. But there's a, a preacher named Nick. I can't pronounce his last name, Nick V. Have any of you ever heard or seen this guy before? He, he does not have arms or legs. You can tell from that picture. That's not doctored at all. He was born with a, a rare genetic disorder. He was born that way, and uh, he is a Christian. He is uh, an evangelist. He's from Australia. And he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. And he was, you know, just amazing listening to his testimony. Because I don't know how bad you got it today, but just looking around the room, I'm not sure any of us have it, any of us have it as bad as that. I mean, that's pretty tough. And he's just buoyant, full of joy and happiness. And Ofer said, where does your joy come from? He said, it comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, people always told me, well, when you get to heaven, you'll understand. He said, I don't want to wait to heaven to understand. I want to live my life now trusting Christ. He skydives. He swims. He plays soccer. He jumps out of airplanes. He jumps off high diving boards. He's married. He writes books. How many of you would agree he's living and he says, it's because I can't figure out why I was born this way. I don't have to. I live for Christ, and I trust Christ. Charles Spurgeon, a great old preacher years ago, said a little bit of faith will get your soul to heaven. But a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. Two weeks ago, I ended the sermon by telling you a, a quote by Henry Blackaby, a Southern Baptist writer, leader, if you wrote it down two weeks ago, this is something, honestly, you ought to look at. You ought to look at every day till you memorize it. Blackaby said about God, he said, God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Theologians use the word omnipotent. In other words, there's nothing God cannot do. God's all-knowing. He's omniscient. There's, there's nothing God doesn't know. When it comes to your life and your problems, God sees... Ten years down the road, better than you remember what happened yesterday. But God's also all-loving. And that God loves you deeply. And so when it comes to you and your life, you can trust a God who's got the bicep to pull anything off, who knows exactly what you need to do, and by the way, loves you immensely. You can trust Him for a miracle. You can trust him when the miracles don't happen. You can trust him to keep your sanity and to keep your joy. Folks, I want to tell you, God is trustworthy. We just need to put our hands in his and not let go. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, man, I want to challenge you to up your trust in Christ, to up your faith level. If you're not a Christian, where you're seated, I want to challenge you. I want to 
I want to really encourage you to give your life to Jesus this morning. Where you're seated, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're God's son. I I believe that you died for me and you arose for me. And Jesus, today, I ask you to come into my life. And Jesus, this morning, by faith, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a second. We're going to sing. But more importantly than that, we're going to challenge you to respond to what you've heard. If you just ask Jesus to be your Savior, would you come in a moment? Would you step out and come and and give your life to Him? Let us help you with that decision today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready to join our church fellowship. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that is just coming down the aisle in a moment. Minister will be down here. We can help you with that. Come and join us this morning. Christian, I want to challenge you, either where you're standing or at the altar or praying with a minister, some of us need to repent today. Our lives are so out of whack, we can't focus on God. We need to get back right with God. Some of us need to repent because we just haven't trusted God like we should. And all of us need to make a fresh commitment to say, Jesus, I want to live a life of joy. I want to live above the job by putting my hand in yours and trusting you. Christian, will you make that commitment? Let's stand. And as God leads you today, respond to